And it looks like we are live. Reading Friends of the Apocalypse. Welcome to Podcast at Ground Zero, your home of the apocalypse for episode 44, Generation Starships. And tonight we have your hosts, Jared, the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace, and Adam Bomb Glancy. No special guests tonight because, no. well, because we don't we don't always have special guests. So because <laughs> we know you're just here to hear us anyway. So yes. Um, uh, I will also note that there will be no special appearance by Django, as he has been finally thrown out of my room. Hooray. He is, you know, he, the house. He has been, he's been socialized as much as he can be. Uh, as much as he can be. He is now getting all the other animals. Sadly, uh, we also lost one of our animals, uh, Sophie, who uh, had a couple of guest appearances on the show. Uh, specifically, she's all over episode, the episode was Sticks and Stones. I believe so, yeah. Yeah, she's all over that one. Uh, sadly, she passed away. Uh, she had the feline leukemia virus, which will become important when we talk about our future show about Mad Max Fury Road. We will explain how the cat's illness explains huge sections of the movie that <laughs> would not necessarily have understood. So we've lost a couple of people, uh, but again, the Wasteland War Wagon rumbles onward. Right, uh, are you having any trouble hearing me at all? Because you keep on... No, you're, you're coming in just fine. Because you, right, you, you keep on popping on me, so I'm losing you a little bit here and there. So, In what sense do I pop? Uh, like like your talk, and I keep on hearing like breaks a little bit. So I was wondering if you're hearing me, hear, clear, you know, hearing me clearly. I don't know if it's a, an overall connection issue. We just started. So yeah. Well, let me just tell you that up until the moment you said, are you hearing me? Everything was fine. And then you said, are you hearing me? You started doing that. So it's going to be a great show, folks. It's yeah. another another great show. All right. I might have to run downstairs and uh, I may have to run my cord. I didn't run my cord today because my, my wireless connection has been very strong. But uh, I may have to plug in directly if it's going to continue like this. So, all right. Well, anyway, regardless... So, episode 44, we're going to talk about Generation Starships, folks, because uh, we've mentioned them before uh, in various different shows, you know, uh, like we've mentioned the game Metamorphosis Alpha, which takes place on a Generation Starship, and we've talked about different TV series and uh, books in the past that deal with the, the whole concept of the Generation Starships. There's a decent amount of material out there, but not an overwhelming amount of material out there. Um, the Generation Starship kind of becomes the... Uh, uh, kind of the micro-apocalypse because it's usually confined to just the starship itself because most of the stories about Generation Starships are something goes horribly wrong and their happy journey to their other... because they're leaving someplace because things have gone bad and now they're going to some other happy place and then something bad happens along the way and it's kind of becomes an apocalyptic... a confined apocalyptic world generally, you know? It's also... Generally speaking, the sort of fictional thing that authors use to, you know, get out, make their make their political and religious commentary. That's what generation ships are extra good at. It's for people to uh, as as vehicles for, uh, you know, making social commentary in a, I don't know, a, a petri dish, sit in a bottle kind of way. You know. Oh, absolutely, and. Um... And we'll get those into into those in just a second. I just had a couple of a couple of quick things, uh, apocalyptic that I've run across. I made a post the other day about, or actually today, 
there's quite a few post-apocalyptic games running on Kickstarter right now. There's uh, three that I'm aware of. One called, and I, I made a post on the blog so that everybody should be able to see that. Uh, there's one called The Devil's Run Route 666. It's a little kind of stupid name. But uh, basically the game seems like a more advanced version of the old Milton Bradley game, Thunder Road, which is kind of Milton Bradley's answer to, you know, Mad Max. And I've actually played it before. This just seems like a more advanced version, more miniatures, more things going on. You're still moving the different road tiles. So that looks interesting. But it's a little... The problem is it's being made over in the UK, so I'm not that keen to jump into that only because, you know, yeah, it's 40 pounds, but now we're over $60 because of uh, uh, currency exchange and then shipping costs and currency exchange and that. So something that should only cost me you know, 40, 50 bucks is now probably almost 100, you know, so it's a, it's a little prohibitive to where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to get into that one because it's just too expensive. You know, but I, but I like the idea of it. And, you know, they have all kinds of, you know, Mad Max, Mad Max-esque figures in it. You know, they're trying to do kick stretch goals. And one of the miniatures is actually, uh, it looks like almost, it looks like a V8 Interceptor. But I, th I think there's a way I could do a low pledge and still do add-ons. So maybe I could get at least a nice little plastic uh, play piece <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the V8 Interceptor. So I might at least give them something, you know, just to, just to get that. Just to that, get it on your on your desk as a paperweight or whatever. Absolutely. Now uh, I tell you, what they need to do is they need to have the Viet interceptor that's like this, this Zeppelin, you know, uh, data stick. The, you know? the USB the USB stick with the Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they need is they need a, a Viet interceptor. You take the front of it off and pop it into your pop it into your drive. That would be cool. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure with the, with the fever of Mad Max, I'm sure that'll be uh, coming along soon enough. Then, should, then we, no should we also oh. mention that uh, in future shows we're gonna be uh, trolling for questions from the audience? Well, yeah, I'll get to that. All right. Uh, there's one called Salvation Road, which looks kind of interesting. Then there's a third one called Defenders of the Last uh, Defenders of the Last Stand, which was done by the designer of the original Arkham Horror board game. Good uh, man. Richard, was it uh, Linnaeus? I'm you know, uh, Richard Linnaeus. Linnaeus, thank you. I'm, you know I'm terrible with names. So he is actually designed by him because he's become pretty prolific uh, lately. You know, after you know our, they started doing Arkham Horror for Fantasy Flight, he's been doing more and more games. So uh, that one I'm willing to give a shot because, you know, he's, he's a pretty good game designer. So, you know, you're in, you're in for something that's probably going to be pretty, uh, pretty good. So... Um, yeah, so there's some, there's some post-apocalyptic Kickstarters that I have uh, seen up recently, so those look uh, pretty interesting. Uh, not a whole lot of other stuff. I've just been waiting for other things. I've been waiting just to hear about other things, like, you know, I'm waiting for the new Walking Dead to start. I've been waiting for this show to come back on and that. There's different shows to come back on. Um, you know, of course, you know, you know we'll, we're, we're going to not talk about Mad Max Fury Road, because me and Scott just talked about it for 20 minutes before the show, and... Uh, so we are. It's, a, it's the first time I've been to a movie in, well, I think, in the theater in like I don't know six months, maybe longer. I mean, oh, wow. you, know, you know. So uh, yeah, it has to be something really. They have to bait that hook really good to get me to, to bite, and they did. Yeah. So uh, we decided that uh, a future show within the next two shows, 
We're going to have the Mad Max Fury Road show. It's going to be a big old spoiler show, folks, because we're going to talk about the movie. And and I even had an idea just to mix it up a little. I might have a little thing or I might put it out there and have some some of our followers, some of our audience members join the hangout and talk about Mad Max Fury Road so we can get some different perspectives on it. Because I know our perspectives are definitely because as we all know, I'm picky as fuck, and I'm going to pick shit apart. And um, and people are going to be like, you're a hater, and you just don't want to like it. And, you know, it's like, but I did like the movie, folks. I did like it. It's just, like we said, it's not in the fucking, it's not in the canon. It is a reboot. You didn't want to say it's a reboot, but it's a fucking reboot. So every asshole who's countered me and told me that it's not a reboot, it's a fucking reboot. Get over it. <laughs> It's definitively a reboot. There's, there's just no way these. Two, it's no, there's no way this film fits in with the other films. It just doesn't. Not you can't connect it to any of the three movies, which is fine. I don't it, care. It, there's no problem. There's no problem. He wants to after thirty something years. He wants to kind of do a different approach, a modern approach, tell a different story for a new generation, new audience. No problem. Just, just fucking own up to it. <laughs> That's all I'm asking. You know. Well, considering how some other reboots have gone, I hypothesize that nobody wants to use the reboot because they're afraid it'll tell the fans, oh, yeah, it's going to just be like the Abrams Star Trek. Everyone will be like, oh, no, we don't want to see a reboot. That's how J.J. Abrams fucked Star Trek. So they kept dancing around the term. You'll enjoy it. Go out and see this film in the next couple of weeks before we get back with our Mad Max show. And that way we won't spoil anything for you because we really don't want to. Yeah, um, but it's we totally... Want you to it's totally worth seeing, folks. Don't get us wrong. We we liked it. We enjoyed it thoroughly. You know, my fa my favorite thing, and you see it all over the commercials, was the guy with the freaking flaming guitar with the amps and the drums. That was like one of my favorite things in the whole movie. Like because they brought a tra they brought a traveling soundtrack with them. It's awesome. Well, yeah. Well, you know, sir, bards add plus two to all your combat rolls. You that, thank you. <laughs> thank you for putting in gaming context so my brain understand better. But uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's actually a picture of some fighting in the Middle East with these guys shooting around the corner with AKs. And there's one guy down the you know, like three guys down the road, people, you know, who are up against this dirt wall, and he's got this guitar and he's playing like hell, and I'm like yeah, Bards add plus two to all combat attacks. You know, that's that's perfect, kids. Um, but it, so but it, but it's a but it's a great movie. Totally worth seeing. Again, it's a total reboot. And but we, we'll we'll get it. We'll get into it. We'll get it. What's not to talk about anymore? And I'm I'm thinking about that again, trying to bring some fan. I might bring some fans on so we get different perspectives. Because I know a lot of people are slathering over the movie like it's the greatest thing ever in the world. Um, I wouldn't go that far, but it's a really good movie, and there's a lot of really. There's a lot of really cool ass shit about the movie. Absolutely, your your money will not go to a bad cause. Absolutely not. It is it is worth every penny of it? Because trust me, I was in that theater. There was when 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 things were at peaks. <laughs> I was getting all antsy, watching, wait to see what's hey. going to happen next. You know, and you went in with expectations. Just oh, I I had no expectations. I went in wanting to hate the movie. I really did. I really did. You're saying George Miller's gonna rape my childhood. Here it comes. Here, not even any lube. And then... oh, you know what? I was I was expecting him to pull a George Romero. Oh, oh yes, that's terrible. Yes, because you know there's a there's a point where because he's 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 actually I think George Romero's age. I think they're pretty close in age, and 
there was a point where George Romero needed to stop making films, and he yes, has like stopped. A, like like a dog who keeps eating his own vomit and throwing it up again and eating it again. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few films after Dawn of the Dead that are just like, and Day of the Dead that are just pretty much that cycle over and over and over again. Yeah, so I was expecting that. Like, oh, please, please don't pull a George Romero. So, uh, <laughs> but no, so folks. It's, after it's, we after we do our Mad Max uh, Fury Road show, uh, we also might have more audience participation. Yes, yeah, so we're gonna we're we're gonna do a uh, we're gonna do another episode. We're gonna do another show on Twilight Two Thousand. Uh, Twilight 2000, Ask Frank. We are going to uh, talk about Twilight 2000 again because, again, this was earlier on in doing the show, and we really didn't feel we gave Frank the time he deserved to dedicate. You know, again, you learn, you learn with experience, and you learn over time. Did, so we even say, did we even say the name Frank Fry? Because we need to actually say Frank Fry because when we call him Frank, it's because we, we know who he is, but the audience members not, may not know oh. that Frank Fry was a publisher – uh, a guy who wrote stuff for Game Designers Workshop for Twilight 2000 back in the early days, wrote a bunch of scenarios, uh, a campaign source book for the uh, Persian Gulf, the weapons guides. He wrote a lot of stuff for Twilight 2000 back in the day. Yes, he was very, he was a very, very, uh, you know, um, avid writer, wrote a lot of stuff for them. So uh, we, we talked to him about the game a little bit, and so we're going we're gonna to bring him back to talk about the game some more, and, we, and we're going to want to feel, we're going to, you know what, instead of us, just talking, asking questions like, hey, so Frank, when did you start writing for Twilight 2000? And we'll get some of those basics out of the way, but you know what? We're going to ask the fans, hey, what do you want What do you want to know from Frank? What do you want to know about Twilight 2000? What burning questions do you have that could get answered by one of the guys who wrote for the game? So we're going to try to get more of those types of questions, and we're going to get that out there. We're going to gather up these questions so we could uh, ask those for Frank during this so folks could get their questions answered. So that's going so that's going to be our two lined up shows. Uh, like I said, we'll do a Mad Max show. I may, I said, I may, I may try to bring some of the fans on. I, I'm probably going to put something out there. Like at a certain point, I might go, okay, you know, the first four people who email me saying they want to join the show get to join the show, and we'll have them on the show. And we're going to talk about the movie. You know, we'll make an official announcement. We promise that it won't be attached to some Patreon thing where it's like, give us money and you can be. A no, we're not going to do that to you. Not. No. Yet, but not for this. It's just, we'll, but we'll come up with a system for getting people either to come on live and ask the questions, or you can just write out a question and we will present it. To exactly. So, you know, so those are we're going to line up because uh, we definitely want to, like I said, yeah, we, we got to talk about, like I said, you know, we already talked too much about Mad Max, but we, we're definitely going to talk about it. And, you know, we're going to be, I already know I'm going to be a pariah and get hate mail because I was, I haven't seen it three times already and, you know, haven't, uh, Anyway, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so yeah, you're you're a hater because you haven't spent thirty six dollars seeing it three times. Yeah, actually, I, I, uh, I, I up here in Seattle, it was actually a twelve dollar ticket for an eight o'clock show, which wasn't terrible. No, did you see? Did you see? Did you see a regular or three D? Regular, because I'm a, I'm a I'm a bigot. I'm a, oh I'm no, a, no 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 uh, uh, You know my opinion about three D movies. All I have to tell you is. Dr. Tone's 3D House of Pancakes. And that's all I need to say. I'm not going to say anymore, okay? Because there was a couple of things in that movie that were totally gratuitous. Why did we do all oh, here for the 3D? Totally unnecessary, yeah. as usual. But the, the last time I saw a 3D movie, it was um, 
uh, whatever the Disney movie was, the Pixar film about the girl with all the red hair, uh, Brave or whatever it was called. Um, I think that was called. But, uh, you know, I had to wear these plastic glasses that looked like, you know, Wayfarers and to get the 3D effects, and it, it, it muted all the color out in the film. So this really bright film kind of got weirdly gray. And the idea of watching a Mad Max movie in that big orange Australian desert with these sunglasses on so I can't see how good it looks, yeah, that wasn't happening. I Fuck the 3D. I need to see the brightness. I need to see how crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 3D is, again, totally, completely, totally, totally unnecessary. So, um, yeah, I don't remember the last 3D movie, so I couldn't tell you. You know, um, I'd probably seen one because we had no other choice. I think, I think we saw one in the last year or two because I had no choice because there was no other showings. I wanted to see the movie or something like that, you know. <laughs> you poor bastard. I know. Um, so, Generation Starships. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, a, f a fair amount of stuff that Generation Starships. You know, Metamorphosis Alpha, of course, is the first thing that comes to mind. We got the role-playing game by James Ward. And on the James Ward interview, we did talk uh, a decent amount about the Metamorphosis Alpha game with him. Uh, there also, there's a lot. There's several books that were influential that were around. And uh, some of the early ones were... Uh, Heimlin, uh, Robert Heimlin's uh, Orphans of the Sky. Uh, there was also uh, Brian Aldiss uh, wrote, uh, it was called Nonstop, or in America it was called Starship uh, by Brian Aldiss. Actually, I think it was in two parts originally, and they did one of those things. Because a lot of those early science fiction books I've noticed are were serialized in some of these magazines, and then they put them all together to make books, and that, that was one of them. The, uh, the the Highland story, um, uh, short stories that can get, get combined to become Orphans of the Sky in, uh, I guess it's uh, the 60s, those yeah. are actually 1940s stories. So the idea of a generation ship or a, a space, sometimes they're called, they were originally called space arcs, uh, yes. harkening back to the original sort of, let's escape the apocalypse in a generation ship and take our entire environment with us story of Noah's Ark, um, but that's, that, that goes back to 1941 uh, for Heinlein, and uh, they're saying that, uh, that uh, you know, Wikipedia claims that even Robert Goddard, one of the earliest pioneers in, in rocket technology, threw out ideas of generation ships uh, in, in essays and things that they wrote and published papers that didn't really garner any real scientific attention. Uh, it wasn't until the 1940s when it turned up in science fiction, uh, there's something uh, uh, by Don Wilcox called The Voyage That Lasted 600 Years that predates Orphans, or uh, Orphans' original short story was Universe. And uh, it, it predated it by a year. But Bob Heinlein wrote a better story, so ha you know, he, he's the guy who's, who we all remember. Plus, it turned up as a radio play on... Yes. Um, I want to say it's the either X minus, I think it's X minus one is the first time I remember hearing it. But um, yeah, so the concept is really big before even World War, well, I was going to say before World War II starts, but really only World War II for America. If you're British or Chinese or Polish or French, it's on. You know, <laughs> Before our involvement, we'll say. Yeah. So before America's entering World War II, we've already hit on the idea of a space arc something that will carry a whole human environment of not just people, but animals and plants and everything and transport them to a new world to, to resettle it. 
uh, from scratch. Sometimes in the face of sometimes in the face of apocalypses, because if I remember correctly, the first ideas um, uh, Godard's story or article is from 1918, and it was called "The Last Migration," where he basically says, "Well, the sun's going to go out someday, so we'll have to move all of mankind," and he's talking about converting you know, planets and planetary bodies into interstellar spaceships. So it's an old, it, it's, it's a far older uh, concept than perhaps uh, we realize. Um, certainly it's all over the 60s and 70s science fiction. Oh, yeah, because then there's like uh, uh, Harry, um, Harry Harrison wrote yes. a novel called Captive Universe, which I've read as well. Which has a definitely. Did you read that one? That one has like this concept of an Aztec society. It's like it takes place. You start reading like this. It's, it's weird. It's like you read. It's like these Aztecs and on both sides of the river. Very. It's kind of interesting. You know, and it winds up and it, and it winds up being that it is a generation ship built into like a planetoid, and it's unfortunately it's it, it, it was very interesting the concept of. Well, let me ask you this question, because um, uh, I, I was look when I was doing some research. I had not read that. I've read a fair amount of stainless steel rat and other Harry Harrison stuff. Oh, yeah. I had not read. I had not read uh, Captain uh, Universe, and um, my first thought about it was, okay, uh, if uh, if if it's you know, why did they pick? Aztec. Why, yeah, because they there are no Aztecs, so they had to engineer an Aztec society for the ship, right? Yeah. I mean, did, did they give a reason why the the designers of the of the colony ship designed it to carry uh, that society? Why did they pick Greeks or Romans or Mongols or, you know? I, I don't recall off the top of my head, um, and they might not have because nothing stands out and nothing's like saying, oh, it's because Aztecs are cool. There's nothing that I really remember uh, predominantly standing out of why they of why they did that. But yeah. a, a lot of what they did with it, you know, like the separate, like because it's like you know because you because you had the Aztec society, but then there was like people watching the Aztec society. Everybody had a job. Everybody had a purpose. You know, um, it was just interesting the way the way it uh, unfolded, like. Um, like, you know, it was, you weren't allowed to, like, the people on the left river, side of the river, were not allowed to interbreed with the right side of the river. And there was reasons for it, which were revealed later on. It was just, well, it was, it was all planned, you know? Well, the, uh, the ship in, uh, Captive Universe is not out of control, though, right? I mean, um, what's it called? Nonstop and Universe Common Sense or Orphans of the Sky. Both those are about generation ships that failed, Right. Oh yeah, it failed. It's not like plummeting into a star or anything, but it failed because the people who were the watchers forgot, you know, kind of forgot their jobs. You know, they kind of got so wrapped up, and you know, again, almost became kind of not, you know, like a like a like almost like a sect of oh, we oh, we have to continue to do the same thing over and over again. So the ship, you know, passed by where it was supposed to go because it went to you know went too far. You know, uh, you know something oh, so along the way. Oh, oh, I see. So rather than give up the power of being the the observers, they've let the ship go past its target planet in well, Harry I, Harrison. Yeah, not on purpose. This is because 
you know, not everybody was that bright. Everybody just kind of did their job. Everybody was put on their bread a certain way to do their job. And then, but once you got to the destination, certain other things would happen to where all of a sudden it would kind of reinvigorate people's, you know, knowledge and intelligence, you know, so they, they kind of kept it suppressed for whatever weird reason, you know, um, so, uh, like I said, it was, uh, like I said, it was, it was different. It was interesting. Um, like I said, yeah, the orphan, you know, the other ones. And I, you know, of course I've come across a bunch of other ones as I was researching that I haven't read myself. Um, um there's a, yeah, looking at the list of various stories, I can't help but notice that generally speaking, generationships in fiction, cause that's all the place we find them almost universally fuck up. Do you know what I mean? Uh, they, they, oh yeah, there's always some kind of failure. Yeah, six or seven generations in, they're fucking up. Whether it's the Star Trek episode for the world is hollow and I've touched yeah. the sky, where they're they're on a collision course and they no longer know how to work the gears to change course, or you know, they were there, they were there for too long and they forgot. You know, it's always yeah. always a fail. It's always a failed experiment. You know, always. Yeah. Well, like um, in um, in uh, did you ever read uh, the Brian Alda story, nonstop or Star or, or no to Starship? No, no, I've never read the Alba story. That, that's another interesting one, how it's been so many generations uh, past. I read about it. I read about it, and I thought it was a great twist. It is. It's really, it was real. As I was reading, I'm like, the Giants, and what are they talking about? And uh, just everything that happened, it was very interesting. And where they're at was kind of cool. That's, that's, uh, that one, I believe, is easily tracked down. Because Brian Aldis is a, is a, a pretty well-known writer. So if you folks could track down uh, his 1958 book, it's called Nonstop, I think, in England, and then it's, uh, it's called Starship in, in the States. That, that's, that's one that's worth uh, tracking down. Do we spoil down. it? Do we, do we, I guess we should we spoil the, the – um, uh, Nah, let's not spoil okay. that one. All right. I mean, we can, it's, 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 it's a really cool concept. It's, 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 I, I think it's interesting. You know, it's uh, – and again, I think it's one like uh, I think Orphans of the Sky influenced like Metamorphosis Alpha more than that, more than uh, Brian Aldis. Oh yes, um, yes, absolutely. And then you mentioned the Star Trek. Uh, also, Space Nineteen Ninety Nine, Mission, yep. Mission of the Darius, and I, I rewatched that this weekend because I haven't seen it in a while. It's again, it's a generation ship, but it's but with the generation starships. Even though they go wrong, sometimes. They're aware that there's problems and things went wrong, and you know, like they just couldn't do anything about it, and things just degrade over time. And some of the stories, it's like people have no concept that they're in a generation starship, they have no idea. So, yes, you, and, you kind of have different takes on that, you know. Yeah, and certainly that's the case in the mission of the Darians, the Space 1989 one. Uh, there is a core of people who still know what they're doing and what the mission is, they've just got this lifeboat mentality and they've abandoned. The, the rest of the survivors on the ship, you know, it's that sort of inside the bunker, outside the bunker, post-apocalyptic thing. Where Oh, yeah. And what's, what's cool, I, I, I loved about um, the, the people who lived in the city uh, who were the, you know, the survivors who were not the core 14 was yeah. every time somebody came along new, the high priest, I guess, of the of the people looked at them to see if they were defective, and there's a reason why. And anytime somebody was defective, he glee, gleefully shouts, "Newtons!" It was it was it was an event. They were excited about it because they got the thermon in the disintegration chamber. 
Yeah, yeah. It's everyone goes back into the fertilizer maker or whatever they've got over yeah. there, the reconstitutor. Um, there's something, there's, and that's right. What reminds me of orphans of the sky because one of the things that keeps going on and on of that about is, you know, anyone who disobeys the laws of the ship will be placed into the recyclers, into the grinder, or something like that. They have this horrible term for whatever recycling thing, the composter, you know, um, which I can't think of a worse way to go than feet first into a wood chipper. But apparently that's what they had, is the, you know, the wood chipper. Uh, and you probably end up in a protein bar. Or well, well, reduce, 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 reuse, recycle. You know, <laughs> but uh, I said the best part about that was Bugent! I gotta like I gotta make a sample of that somehow, you know, because it was just it was just hilarious. Great! Is that gonna be my new phone ring? Is that my new ring on the phone? Is Mutants? You know, I think I think it I think it will be. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I need to change it. You know, it's been. I, I was I was getting so used to being the dummies. Dummies. I know, but you know, I got to mix it up a little bit because, like, I even, I even, I've even changed. The mystical phone is now is no longer known as Orac. What are you on now? It is now known as Mulanda One Six Five. This Mulanda One Six Five is a computer from the Star Lost. Because I love, we'll talk about the Star Lost. I love the Star Lost, even though okay, it's... Okay, now, now you realize it's poop, right? Oh, no. The production values are complete ass, okay? Right. Oh, and I realize it. But, it, but it's cool because it's got such good, it's got such good concepts. And, okay. it, you know, the acting's horrible. The scenery's terrible. But it really, really, I think it really, uh, the Star, okay, folks, the Star Lost is a, Show uh, we've talked about the Star Lost before. The Star Lost was uh, originally designed, uh, written by Harlan Ellison, and then he disassociated himself with it because it got so horrible. And even Ben Bova uh, was uh, a technical advisor on that. He just tried to distance himself from that as well. It was a Canadian show, 1973. It was supposed to be this innovative this and that. They even had the guy from uh, 2001. Uh, thank you. Was on there, but. It's just horrible production values, folks. Horrible acting. But they get the ideas and the concept right of a generation ship because it has it's a generation ship that has uh, some of them have like, you know, uh, you know, biospheres, living areas, like of different cultures. The ship seemed the ship seemed really influenced by uh, the ship from Silent Running, the Valley Forge. You know, with the big domes filled with forests on it. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Mm -hmm. It's an old Bruce Dern film from the late 70s. And it was, uh, I want to say it was directed by, it was directed by the guy who did the special effects for 2001. So it came out not to, was, you know, and the, the Valley Forge cargo ship with its giant domes filled with uh, plant life. It got, you know, that became stock footage. It was reused in, I think, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, probably. Yeah. Um, but it's a really classic, you know, sort of 19, you know, pre-Star Wars spaceship. And the big thing was, you know, long girders and, you know, construction with all these big giant domes hanging off of it like blisters. And those domes really look like the environments of the Ark. What, what is the name? Do you remember what the name of the ship is? In um, uh, Star Lost? It was the Ark. It was just the Ark. Okay. It was just the Ark. Okay. 
but 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 it's got some real. But it, they they get a lot of the ideas and the concepts right. Like you know, something bad happens to the crew, and there's no more communications, and it's and it's and it's like hundreds and it's like I can't remember, but it's hundreds and hundreds of years after. So they've forgotten what it is, and but it's but it's a weird dichotomy of, of it because everybody's it's kind of became survival of the fittest because you get some areas that didn't know shit, and you had some areas like there was this one area that was like the security area and the descendants of their still live in the security area. They wouldn't let people in because that's all they knew was from the security. You still had, you had one area that had advanced technology, you know, and, but it's like, okay, well, if they had such advanced technology. Why didn't they, somebody come and try to make the ship work again? You know, yeah, why, is it up, why is it up to Kira Dulé who comes from some sort of Amish farming community to be the guy who starts exploring the ship? Why aren't the guys who are the, the holdouts with the high tech doing that? Why aren't they in the process of it? Exactly. Because maybe there's some underlying, you know, things are just so fucked up or whatever reason that they're not doing it. You know, then, and there's also, there's even a whole thing where there's like uh, a section in the back of like some kind of uh, uh, astronomical area, like of these scientists who are like observing things and the engines. And it's just like, why are you fucking doing anything to fix the goddamn ship? You know, so yeah. some, of that, some of that's frustrating, but you get visited, you get visitations from aliens, uh, from, uh, Walter Koning come, he, he, he's in the show twice, two episodes, uh, as a visiting alien. Cause they just want the data, want, they just want the ship to for salvage. You don't give a shit about anybody on the ship. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled that the aliens you show up are not like, you know, you know, blah, 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 peaceful aliens, like the day the earth stood still or any of those, you know, they're just like, it's got value. We're, we're going to sell it for scrap. Yeah, who's you know? in charge? Nobody's in charge? Okay, we're taking it. Yeah, law of the sea, it's ours. And I'm like, oh, good. The aliens are just as douchey as we are. Yeah, and then there's even, there's even a whole thing about um, there's a medical corps that floats around, that has like a ship that travels around the ship. Uh, it's like, this, like a medical hospital that travels around, goes to different domes and helps people out. And these are like generations and generations down of doctors and they've been training them. And it's like, okay, well, I know your, your focus is doctors, but why? So, you know, the ship is disabled and you're only focused on your mission to help. You know, so it said, it's got some problems for sure, but they're, but they, but they do address some cool. I think they do some cool stuff with the show. And I, anyway, it sounds like, it sounds like none of the cultures are capable of thinking outside their box. Exactly. box. And the writers built a box for him, and they never leave the box because people never leave their box, which is bullshit. Yeah. Every, everyone gets bored. Everyone would look for something new to do. Um, you know, uh, particularly the guys who, who are maneuvering around the vessel. Yeah. In another vessel and have this completely different perspective on the world. You, you'd think that they would buy a vowel and solve the puzzle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, wake up some people. Try to you know because there's frozen people. Like I said, there's there's so there was so much potential in the show. That's why it's it, you know most people consider it poop. But I think there there was enough cool stuff in it to keep my to keep my interest. Uh, like I said, I wound up buying. I bought it on Amazon. I got it for like a super deal for like I got it for like ten dollars. The whole series. And I was like for ten bucks. It, you know, so I watch it every once in a while. It's actually on. Uh, I told you there there's a folks there's a channel. Uh, I have a Roku box, and there's a Roku channel 
for the Star Lost. All the episodes, they show all the episodes of the Star Lost on there. So uh, every once in a while, like I'm laying in bed, I'll, I'll pop it on, just, you know, watch an episode just because, you know, I can. So, uh, but what I liked the most about that show was I loved that computer, the Mulanda one, Mulanda, Mulanda, Mulanda 165. It was just an inform. It was a. It was just an informational, uh, uh, like station with limited access. But the thing is, it was snarky enough. It was self-aware, but it was only programmed to give you out certain answers. You know, uh, and like they would ask its questions that it couldn't answer, but it would answer them in ways to kind of give them clues, like you couldn't give them answers. So it was definitely a you know, a self-aware computer that it's really been on its own and not talked to anybody for centuries. And it has the effects of not talking to somebody for centuries. So it's kind of gotten that, you know, like in Gamma World with those old think takes and cybernetic installations, like the brain has been by itself for a very long time and it's just gotten fucking bug shit crazy. This, computer, <laughs> you know, this computer has a little bit of that, you know, you know, you know, can I help you? And the guy who plays the, because it goes to like a vid screen and it has this guy with glasses and his beard and he's just fucking weird looking and the way he talks, you know, can I help you? It's like, whoa, yeah, it's it's cool. It's, it's got some, like I said, it's got some cool shit to it. Like I said, you know, watch it on YouTube. Is, you know. is, is Mulan 165 uh, meant to be, or Mulani 165 meant to be a, uh, an AI? Or is it just a computer with certain human characteristics put on it to like make the people using it comfortable? That is a good question. Uh, that is. Uh... There's something I've, I've run into recently. This concept called the Uncanny Valley, and I'm sure there's science fiction geeks out there who've heard it before me. But it's this idea that the more human you make an artificial thing, like a robot or a computer, the more freaked out people are by it. Oh, yeah. Because um, if it looks like R2-D2 or those little robots or the Huey, Dewey, and Louie, the little robots from uh, from uh, uh, Silent Running, um, if it's, if it's non-anthropomorphized, it's easier to deal with as an artificial thing than it is if it's more, the more humanized it is because there's a point where, you know, before you get to the Roy Batty replicant stage where – they don't have, you know, they don't have like, uh, they don't have human body language, right? They, they just don't have no, there are no verbal cues for your robots. So they can sound just fine. They can sound like, you know, Kevin Spacey's voice from Moon. But thank God he was in this just, you know, you know, box sort of thing that moved on a track throughout the, the lunar, uh, you know, mining station because having that nice, perfectly human voice attached to something that's kind of shaped like a person but isn't is, is really freaky. And, and uh, um, uh, it, it sort of reminds me about how all communication on the Internet works. Yeah. All, all communication on the Internet is devoid of all the social, verbal, non-verbal cues that apes have developed for talking to each other and assuring each other that we're not a threat. So you take that away on the internet and everything just sounds like screaming. <laughs> kind of like Twitter. Kind of like how Twitter works. Everything's 140 characters of fuck you every single time. Um, but that, now I'm off, I'm off course. Um, 
No, 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 uh, no. But, but, but no, I, I agree. It's like, it, it's, um, uh, I was just trying to see if I could find anything else about the computer. It's, um, well, the uh, uh, thing is, I was going to uh, mention is that that, that it, it, I mean, it is an AI, but it's really okay. more. It's really it's it's um, it's um, it, I think it's just an extension of the main computers. It's only meant to be like uh, an informational, like I said, it's a, like an information station, like an interface. So it's the interface to the main computer. So that's okay. the personality of it. And again, it's it's limited. It's like I can't answer that. But if you go here, go here, and go here, you can do this. Like, like it can tell you how to do things. Like it won't do it for you, but it'll tell you how to get to it. So, so it's not how. So it's not how. No, no, no. Or how has actual opinions and shit. Okay. Um, or the or my favorite post-apocalypse computer, the one running the trains in Eternity Road. Yeah. Oh, He's yeah. Been that in charge one. of the. Who's been in charge of the train station and just like, listen, I've been in charge of the train station for a couple of centuries now. When you leave, turn me the fuck off. Yeah, I'm done. Any, <laughs> anything is better than doing this shit over and over and over and over and over. That's right. Yeah, he's yeah, very, very happy to talk to somebody, you know? Yeah, yes. And now that I've done it, I'd like to go, you know? Um, but, uh, so anyways, um, the one thing about these generation ship stories is they almost always, I'm trying to think of a generation ship that doesn't fuck up. I mean, I was just looking and there's one called Proxima Centuri, which came out in 1935, where there is a, there is a, uh, a mutiny on the ship, but they haven't, they still, they haven't completely let go of the mission. They still know that there is a mission. Um, certainly, Pandorum, even though it's not technically, I mean, it's sort of a generation ship, but it's a hybrid because it's a sleeper ship, right? Well, yeah, but yeah, yeah, but, but it's definitely. Oh, I, I was just watching that again recently. I absolutely love Pandorum. I think that movie is fucking awesome. I think that movie is so well. It is a generation ship, but but it's not a generation ship in the fact that they. Yeah, you're right. It's 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 more of a sleep because they kind of put them in hibernation, and they have the the they have like multiple command crews that well, leap, I, leapfrog every few years and go back and go into sleep to you know uh, keep control of the ship. You know, yeah, the idea that they're like tagging out like wrestlers in a ring, like okay, yeah. here's your here's your six months in the command chair. Okay, back to sleep. Now it's the next guy's turn. The next guy's turn, and the 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 cycle keep. They do that a couple times. While everybody else is asleep um, uh, for the trip, um, that made that was pretty cool. Although it becomes a generation ship because, as part of the plot, someone is letting people out, has been letting people out of sleep, forcing them out of sleep, and then forcing them to live on the survive on the ship and adapt. To the environment of the ship with that you know what that mutagenic virus was that they had that would change the people so that they would be adapted to whatever environment they finally arrived on because they were you know the chances of getting to an earth perfect world were not great so there might have to be some changes in the genome so they've changed their genome to be the perfect things to live on the ship oh yeah which well, I'll, I'll light Spoiler alert, people. Even though the movie came out six years ago, 2009, spoiler alerts. But, oh, yeah, 
they, they definitely, you're right. They talk about that because something happens, people are let out, and they continue to live there, and they, they adapt for the ship. And they are not, because sen- I don't remember the exact amount of time that goes by, but it is centuries go yeah. by. Centuries. centuries. Centuries combined with a virus that changes your genetic code to adapt your offspring to the environment, you know, so that you are now better equipped to live in a world of corridors, air ducts, bad light. They like they they become very rat like. Is it just me, or do you think they become very rat like? Oh yeah, well they're definitely uh, you know um, yeah they're they're they're, 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 well, they're very feral. That that's for sure. You know yeah because um, I think the original mission was only supposed to be like 123 years. They left in 2174. And I'm trying to see where they, um, almost a thousand years. Yeah. They've been doing this. And so, you know, a thousand years evolution wouldn't mean shit to physically change the humans into into monsters, but you throw in the, you throw in the gene thing. Yeah. And suddenly it's okay. Now my, 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 my disbelief is officially suspended. You may now proceed with the mutations. Oh, and, okay. it's, and you know, there was originally 60,000 people on that ship, and there's not a lot, because they go through a lot, of the sleep, a lot of the chambers, and a lot of them are empty, because you've got, you got a thousand years, almost a thousand years of feeding. Yes, there was a whole thing about, yes, certain chambers are being pulled open so that the survivors who are living, who've been evolved for life on the ship, are now eating the people in sleep, uh, in the sleep chambers. That was particularly grisly. Oh, um, it's, it's horrifying. Like, it's just hor- like, I just saw that scene again, and it's just horrifying. I just, it's just, it gives me chills. It's like a chamber opens up, and you're coming out of hyper sleep, and this, and this, you know, this dude was definitely, it's been in there for like 800 fucking years or more. You're, you know, we, they weren't meant to be in hyper sleep for that long, you know? Yes. So they, they are definitely disoriented, and all of a sudden, you got all these monsters around. You know what the fuck's going on, and then they just start eating them, tearing them apart. That is fucking horrible. That is a horrible fucking way to go. It was. Uh, it was a genuinely disquieting film. Yeah, and it and it it did a good job of opening with disorientation and confusion, and then you know what the fuck is going on now. Uh, it really did a good job with that. Um, but it's not technically. It's not a, a generation. Yeah, you're, you're right. When you said 60,000 people, it reminded me of a thing I read on the Wikipedia article about um, the minimum viable populations. Oh, yes. The people talk about how, how many individuals need to be in a generation ship in order to mix up the gene pool enough on arrival uh, to um, you know, create a viable population. And, uh, you know... Um, you know, there's uh, some stuff about how uh, Rutgers, Uni- Rutgers University uh, thinks that the population of North uh, America uh, and possibly South America, North and South America is populated from the descendants of 70 individuals who crossed the Bering uh, Strait and just started fucking like bunnies because that's what we do. And we just filled two continents with the descendants of, uh, of a seed colony, an initial seed colony, just 70 individuals. 
Um, that was a, an article that was published back in 2002. Um, other people have said, uh, sorry, 2005, other articles mentioned, uh, one by a guy named uh, John Moore, Dr. John Moore, suggests that you need about 150 to 180 individuals to be able to create a breeding population that would be viable for 60 to 80 generations, about 2,000 years uh, before your gene pool started to get a little too uh, not varied anymore. There wasn't a variation in it. But the more recent one was a guy named Dr. Cameron Smith who suggested that you'd need somewhere between 14 and 44,000 individuals uh, on, a, on a ship to start a new colony on a new world, to populate a new world with no chance of it being snuffed out. Because you had to account for not just variations in the breeding uh, pool, but also accidents and other things. Uh, in fact, isn't there a generation ship story that involves a ship where the ship is, 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 has left the initial planet because there was a disease on it? They got to their location, they started colonizing it, and there was a plague in the environment, and they have left, and they're now returning to Earth, one presumes, with the plague in tow, <laughs> bringing it back. You know, it, um, it, it almost sounds like uh, part of the plot from the Game World module, uh, uh, the Albuquerque uh, spaceport, yeah, where, yeah. They, where they have the plague zombies, you know, because a, a ship went out, deep space came back with this plague, and they basically blew up the station, so they, you know, couldn't come down. You know, um, yeah. it's it, it sounds it sounds familiar. Um, I I can't, I can't uh, place that, but well, I'll I'll take a look and see if I can find. It. But but you know, you'd have to have at least forty four thousand people was one of the you know one of the upper numbers, just to have enough people to to tame an entire world. Oh yeah, and, and, and for a while. You know, unfortunately, uh, they, they would probably have breeding would have to be you know probably you know, monitored and selected because you'd have to keep things mixing. You know. Yeah. Oh, and one way to short one way to to increase that number, stretch that number even further is, um, they suggested that a sperm bank would be easier to maintain uh, for for genetic diversity. Than just having sure if your population is fifty percent female, fifty percent male, you're going to have that biodiversity. But if you also add in uh, an enormous number of uh, even larger number of male donors, you've got all that biodiversity, and it's all just kept in a in a closet, you know. And it doesn't require food or water; it just requires electricity or whatever it is to keep it, you know, uh, at the proper, you know, keep it preserved. But the idea of a sperm bank would certainly stretch out that. That, oh yeah, because then you're yeah you're just bringing somebody in the mix who wasn't previously there. Yeah. Well, because because in Pandora, like uh, the one person is like from some kind of uh, some kind of genetics bank or something where they had you know they they of course they lost part of it, but uh, they have like all the species of the planet in there as well. So it is kind of like an arc ship too. They're like yeah, they have all the species to to populate you know the planet again. So they have all the genetic material there to make more creatures and presumably more people as well. So they, they probably might have that as well. They might have that sperm bank concept too, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, and I want to point out that Dr. Who did this as well. There's a Dr. Who episode called the beast below, which is a generation ship 
that is uh, doing oh, interstellar travel by having the generation ship bolted essentially to the back of an interstellar organism, something that lives in deep space. And it's like, I guess, a space whale. But they've got the, the ship bolted to the back of this thing. Uh, and, you know, the ship just sort of zaps it with current or whatever to steer it through the, through the, through the dark. But it's uh, that's uh, quite, that's quite That's quite a propulsion system, you know? Yeah, yeah. What, uh, uh, what, what doctor was that? Um, that is definitely not, I don't think that's Matt Smith, but I'll take a quick look here. I believe it's uh, Tenet. Uh, let's see oh. here. Nope, it's Matt Smith. Also, it new, Matt Smith. also newer. Yeah, much much oh, newer. Okay, oh, yeah, I was like, I was like, I don't remember that from the uh, the older Doctor Who's because well, there's the, there's the space arc from the episode Space Arc, where it's a space station orbiting the Earth that just has the biodiversity of planet Earth. Although biodiversity turns out to be a bunch of white English people. Um, you know, of Earth orbiting around, and Tom Baker, I think one of the very earliest episodes, ends up on there where these insects, these laughably bad insect costumes, have taken over the ship and are now using, like tarantula wasps, are using the people in stasis as things to gestate their young. So it's all sort of, it's all horrible again. But it's not a generation ship, it's just a space arc. Um, the, the point of generation ships is to go wrong to go off course, to fail in their purpose so that people can start being tremendous dicks to each other um, in this tiny little world where they think they know everything, but they're completely ignorant of the true scale and the true shape of the universe. Um, you know, and that, you know, that, that's, that, that's sort of the standard thing with all... Um, there's a David Gerald one called the Galactic Whirlpool, where they're gonna hit, they're gonna hit a black hole because they live in a their ship is devolved to that whole universe is the ship. There's only the ship. There's nothing beyond the ship. You know, kind of mentality. Um, I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm really not sure. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's too too many where the generation ship actually gets where it's going um and uh well i guess there's there's something called the book of the long sun which is what happens when a generation ship gets where it's going and they're faced with a brave new world and you know they're not really up to the challenges because they've lived in a can for however many generations yeah well i mean not not to spoil too much but in uh pandorum they they got where they're supposed to go Worse than that. Worse than that. Very it's actually worse. worse. I'd say it's worse than they got where they were going to go. It's yeah. so much worse. Um, so watch it, folks. But yeah. uh, it's. Uh, but as yeah. far as uh, you know, the, the, the idea of the uh, of the apocalypse inside the generation ship, um, that's a really old one, and um, uh, certainly the uh, the idea of of that blinkered sort of. I guess provincial outlook where you can't see if you can't see it, it doesn't exist that you get with apocalypses, right? You know, yeah. we know our valley and that's all we know, or we know the inside of the dome or we know the bunker, you know, and there's nothing else. The generation ship falls right into that. And it, it, it seems like writers only generally come up with generation ships so they can make them go wrong. And then they can show how terrible people are in a crisis. 
when they start fucking up. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's probably why, you know, you said uh, James Ward came up with uh, the Metamorphosis Alpha game because it's basically, you know, a dungeon crawl in space. Like he's, you know, he's uh, said, you know, something like that, you know, not verbatim in the past, but basically, you know, it's like a dungeon in space. But the whole generation shift thing, like you said, has been around for many decades before that. So there's been a lot of writing on it. It's been and it's been known. So it was definitely ripe for him to create that game based on that concept before he even came out with the post-apocalyptic game. You know, generation ships and sci-fi were definitely, definitely around, definitely known. So, now, does um, does uh, does uh, uh, Metamorphosis Alpha predate Star Lost? Because Star Lost is seventy three. Seventy three. Metamorphosis Alpha is seventy five, and he's. He, and James Ward says that he had never seen the show, never heard of it. Okay, well, he'd heard of he'd heard of the Heinlein story, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But he never heard the Starless because it was a Canadian show. It, it lasted it lasted thirteen episodes. It was not horribly received, you know. So especially back in the early seventies, you know, yeah. Now, oh, Canadian TV, I could track down Canadian TV now. But back in nineteen, you know, back in the early seventies. Yeah, probably not so much unless yes, you live in gonna, unless I'm, you live in Canada. You know, I'll go. I'll go turn on my uh, Orphan Black right away. You know, um, at least that's the big Canadian TV show I can think of right now that's actually produced with the CBC. Um, now there was, I didn't see it, but wasn't there a uh, Generation Ship TV show made for Sci-Fi where they they cranked out a few episodes? Uh, Ascension. Ascension. It was a four-part. Uh, it was a four-part miniseries that I was going. I believe it was four, four, four or six episodes. I was gonna watch it, but then I just heard so much bad press about it that yeah. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'll get around to it one of these days. Yeah. Now that one looks like it's on its way to be an apocalypse, uh, but it's certainly not the idea of the ship where, um, you know, uh, the ship becomes a world in of itself, because the idea of the the generation ship is a is literally a a completely self-contained, self-perpetuating environment, and it's interesting because now that I think about it, you're a lot of times your um, uh, your uh, colony ship, your space arc, your 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 generation ship apocalypses, in a lot of ways are like the slow motion burn of an ecological uh, holocaust or an ecological. Uh, apocalypse, where it's a slow degradation, you know, fewer and fewer, as this ship's systems break down, as the self-contained biosphere is not properly maintained, it becomes, the, the, the ability to, to support people gets smaller and smaller, and the people in charge keep making decisions about who goes in the recycler and who doesn't, you know. Um, oh, yeah, so re, re, you know, machines start work, less machines work, less resources, yeah, and so it's a lot of times they become these sort of, um, uh, I guess you'd call it these these. Uh, uh, the how they the the, the, how, the it becomes a death by a thousand cuts. You know, it's the attrition as more and more stuff uh, shuts off and, and, and closes down. Well, there well, are some, well, you know that happens especially because a lot of these ships again something bad happens. And they're on the ship a lot longer. A lot of times it's because they're there a lot longer than they should be. Yeah. You know, because halfway through the mission, something goes wrong. So now the mission is forgotten. There's yeah. a lot, you know, people aren't maintaining things. 
So next thing you know, oh, we're past our 100-year window. Now we're at 125. Now we're at 150. Okay, and the ship wasn't designed to last that long. The resources weren't meant to last long. So slowly things are breaking down more and more and more, like in uh, in Pandora. Yeah. You know, because yes. the guy's like, why is why are the engines acting like this? This thing was designed to last, you know, well, 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 well past uh, our, our our mission of 126 years. So that's what starts giving them clues. Yeah, like, okay, yeah, we, we, yeah, we've been here. We've been here for a very this something's wrong. We've been here a long time because the nuclear engines shouldn't be doing this. You know. Yeah, that was one of the most annoying, you know, horrifying moments in the movie is where they realize they measure how long they've been out in suspend in deep sleep by the state of the ship. And if it's breaking down like this, a vessel that was designed for two, three centuries of use, and now it's breaking down. Okay. Oh yeah, because because yeah, yeah, the, the guy he thinks that you know something's wrong. It hasn't been that long, but he keeps on like you'll see. He never says anything, but you'll see him in the movie like they're in a place and he's like touching the walls and looking at you know the growths or the rust or something. He's like, what? Why is he's? You, know, you can tell he's looking at it like, okay, this is not right. Why are we here this long? You know. Uh, I will also point out that there is um, there is a novel by a guy named uh, Toby Litt. There's a novel called Journey into Space um, that um, is uh, from 2009. It's a British one. Um, I've never read it, but I will point out that it does something that uh, I had not heard of anyone doing before. Uh, oh, my God. Um, uh, it's about the people on the ship who are in the middle generation, right? That hmm. there's those guys, if it's generations, there's the guys who leave earth and then they all die. And then their kids are piling the ship and then their kids, or maybe their kids, kids land on the, sh or the generation that lands on the new world. But there's going to be a couple generations that are just stuck on the ship. And how crazy would you get? knowing that your generation's purpose is just to be burnt out for somebody else's glory, right? Just to, to be left in this steel can. And I'm going to quickly read what it says here on the um, Wikipedia page. Uh, the novel is situated on board the UNSS Armenia, a generation ship which is traveling from Earth to a faraway planet where humanity is to establish a new civilization. Because of the vast distance evolved, the journey will span the lives of many generations. Apart from the generation which began the journey and the generation which might end it, most generations will live and die on the ship. But when a child named Orphan is illicitly born from two lovers named, lovers named August and Celeste, the ship's mission is turned upside down. After a nuclear holocaust wipes out most life on Earth, Orphan eventually takes control of the ship and turns the ship around back to earth many years later a suicidal cult takes over the ship and it plummets back to earth killing everyone on the ship and all life on earth nice. so there there's your there's your multiple layers of apocalypse i love the idea that the people who've been sealed in this can go so crazy and so resentful of the people who sent them out that they turn the ship around and kamikaze it into the earth that's really that's nasty well that's kind of that's going to be some psychological stress on there because it's like listen we're not going to get to wherever we're going to get to for another two or three another two three four generations well past my lifespan 
why so i'm just here just to keep things going so somebody yeah you're right so somebody else could do it that might mess with some people's heads and they might go you know what i don't want to do this anymore i want to see results i want it now you know yeah even if the result is we crash the ship into the earth and it blows up you know then, ha, ha, so, i've got a result i've I yeah have, I, i've done something yay you know <laughs> as opposed to I'm just maintaining this bulkhead. This bulkhead is my duty. I must keep it clean. Oh, my God. You know, uh, some of the other stories talk about, uh, I noticed on here there was something called Journey, which their big thing was, or was it Journey? No, Colony, by a guy named Robert Grant, where the, the, the jobs on the ship become inherited. Oh, yeah. Rather than have the be a, a meritocracy, you know, the captain's going through puberty because it was, you know, the captain's dead and it's a boy king. And, you know, uh, various, you know, other people are, you know, only, the, certain groups only socialize amongst their own groups, which makes the inbreeding on the ship even worse. And, you know, all the, you know. We, we've, definitely, we've definitely seen that uh, trope in uh, post-apocalyptic stories. And you know, like people like, oh... It's like I'm I'm head I'm head engineer. We don't know what a head engineer is, but you are head engineer now. You know that kind yeah. of passing down of the titles. You know we've definitely seen that that before. Yeah, uh, and, and and passing down the job. Well, what's the job? It's to do these things. What do these things do? Oh, but you better do them because it says here right in the book that the you book, have the book says that you have to do the job. Yes, the holy maintenance manual. Or the TXL 35 Singularity Propulsion System, you know, flip to page six. Oh, ye verily. Perhaps over the years it's become illuminated. Now it's an illuminated manuscript with all the illustrations on the side of the, um, the uh, uh, how-to manual. Or, uh, you know, all the – every ship comes with documentation. I'm sure there's <laughs> – if there's not illuminated manuscripts, there'll be illuminated uh, view screens. Oh, uh, yeah, there's definitely something in, like – and what's interesting, like I said, you know, to talk about, again, because the Metamorphosis Alpha game is definitely more accessible now uh, because of the, the Kickstarter that they did. And, you know, so if anybody really wanted to play that type of game, it's easily available because, you know, you could get, you could get the original rule set again. Even though uh, Mr. Ward has, uh, you know, has the rights to his game and he's been putting out different versions of it, a lot of people, again, because of the old school gaming movement, are going back to the original gaming system that's available and there was so much extra material written for the original setting like uh like a lot of the extras for the game were like more weapons more you know gear more mutations more this there was a lot of added material for that game plus they wrote a bunch of modules and there's you know already for it there's a couple more to come out now they're going to be doing another kickstarter uh in the next couple months i don't know when called uh for like i think it's called epsilon city so it's this whole adventure because apparently Epsilon City in the Metamorphosis, you know, the Starship Warden is kind of like, I think it's the Armory or something. It's like it's a whole city of technology. So they're making, you know, uh, they're making that adventure. It's going to be like this big epic campaign adventure that they're going to be doing a Kickstarter for. So if anybody was, you know, anybody's a gamer and really wants to get into, you know, that kind of post-apocalyptic sci-fi type game, even with the with the with the um, with a generation ship. Uh, there's a lot of material out there now for that game and more, you know just, more to come. You know what I just realized? As far as the uh, uh, how generation ships go wrong, um, 
it occurs to me that except for Mr. Ward, I'm not I'm not remembering any generation shifts because the the ward, the warden, excuse the warden. me, uh, the warden goes bad because it 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 encounters deep space radiation, which mm -hmm. is an actual genuine problem of interstellar travel, and um, kill, it kills like the most of the command crew, you know. Yeah. Um, and it kills the vast majority of the command crew. Um, and um, that was an external factor that rendered the ship uh, uh, off course or off mission. Usually, though, the breakdown in generation ships in fiction is all, is, I don't know why I keep saying it's fiction, I guess, opposed to, I guess opposed to as in games. Yeah. Um, generally, it's a failure of the people. It's it's an operator error. As I guess it's you well, like like in like in Pandora, you know what? You know again, it's a sleeper ship, you know, not a generation ship, but you know what? What? Why all that happened? Operator error. Operator error. Completely operator error. Yeah. If, if, if there was an operator error, they everything might have been fine, and they would have got where they're yeah. supposed to be going. Exactly. But you somebody know? somebody took it upon themselves to make it a bad time for everybody else. You know who I oh I you know I, I gotta throw this out because um, there's certain elements of Pandorum that remind me a little bit of Sunshine and uh, okay. Captain Captain Pinback yep on the first ship that goes out I ran into at the San Pedro you ran to Captain Pinback no I ran it well no he's dead he was played by Dan O'Bannon the writer right Dan yeah. O'Bannon who wrote um, Alien and Total Recall, I think it is. I think those are Dan O'Bannon scripts. Uh -huh. um, and, of course, Dark Star, and he starred in Dark Star. Uh, and uh, uh, did The Resurrected, which is a Lovecraft story. Dan's gone. Dan died some years ago, but I ran into his widow. Uh, she was there with a print, uh, a director's cut of The Resurrected that was different than the cut that you, you can get on DVD. Huh. Um, and so she was showing that at the film festival because she's a Los Angeles local. But I got a little chance to talk to her a little bit, and she told stories about Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter breaking into UCLA's film library and stealing their copy of Dark Star. Oh, wow. They stole a print. They stole a print of Dark Star so they could release it in theaters because apparently when you make a movie at UCLA, it becomes the property of UCLA. And Carpenter... <laughs> Him broke into the, uh, apparently they broke in. That, that's her story anyways. She donated the print back to the UCLA library. But one of the things we were talking about was uh, we brought up Pinback. That, um, you know, one of the things that she's, you know, you know, sort of pleased her husband very much was, and, and her too, was the idea that even though Dan's gone, little bits of Dan O'Bannon keep showing up and stuff, like Captain Pinback. You know, where else are you going to get a name like Pinback except from Darkstar? I, I can't imagine that that is an homage to anything else except. Oh, Dark, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark Darkstar is another classic, classic science fiction film. You know, and and yeah, it's also one of those great you know where the mission doesn't make any sense anymore, and that's kind of why I was reminded of the, the the. Yeah, yeah. Oh, of ships. Well, yeah, exactly. Because yeah, at some point on in Darkstar, like. Why are we still doing this? You know, it's like they, they've they've lost focus. You yeah. know, the idea that they're blowing up planets in systems that have habitable worlds, uh, unstable planets that could cause, you know, 
collisions or damage the solar system. You know, they're creating asteroid belts, I guess, blowing up these unstable planets so that colony ships can come out and colonize these solar systems. But the colony ships are just like, they're, they're not even close to ready yet. Why are we, do, you know, they're out there blowing things up that, you know, no one's going to be bothered by. And, you know, and even if they did have colony ships, these unstable planets, they're what? They're, they're not going to cause a problem for tens of thousands or millions of years, you know? So um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where it's like, what the fuck are we still doing out here? You know, billions of miles from Earth, billion light years from Earth. And you know, isolated, doing this this job that doesn't make any sense. Certainly, that's what some of that middle passage. Oh, and part of the problem. Part of the problem for them is the longer they were out there, the longer it was from home because they were traveling at that faster than you know speed. To where you know they've only been on the mission for ten years, but like how many decades have passed at home? You know. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah. The, the whole time dilation thing because of the. The, the fashion that I travel. Yeah, that was extra. So you're even more cut off. That's one of those things about generation ships and FTL travel and science fiction. It's always very creepy is the idea that um, if you choose to get on a ship and leave, this is not like, this isn't even Vasco da Gama or Ferdinand Magellan where you're going to sail around the world and come home, although Magellan doesn't make it, obviously. You can't ever come back. Whatever you left, you're leaving for good. You're on your own. It's not just wagon train to the stars. You know, there's no going back. There's no going back and visiting grandma and grandpa or seeing how the old homestead is. Oh, you no, know, no. You, 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 you could come back, but you can't come home because well, there, there is no home. Yes. Yeah. It's like that bit from, uh, oh, hell, it's like that bit from Red Dwarf. Do we refer to Red Dwarf as a accidental generation ship? Because there was the whole generations of cats that evolved on the ship. Well, yeah, we we could say that it be it, it became one, kind of sort of. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, the idea that you know uh, you can't go back to Earth. Either you got back to Earth, it's X million years later. You wouldn't be recognized as what is currently human. Uh, right. That was that was always disturbing to me. That it was just there's literally no way to go home. You can go back. You got it right, Mister uh, Wallace. You can go back, but you can't go home. Well, look what happened in uh, Interstellar. I have not seen it, Interstellar. Oh, okay. I won't spoil it then. I, I admit I heard one thing about Interstellar, and I'm a grumpy old man and said, fuck it, I'm not watching it. Um, because they had this thing where apparently we're so down on space travel in the future that school books teach that the moon landing was fake. And I'm just like, really? That's, the, that's, your, that's your grand plan to discourage people from going to space is to pretend like we never... Yeah, I mean that. that part was a bit ridiculous, but they definitely, they definitely, the thing happens of, oh, you leave, and then you get yeah. back eventually, and yeah, you come, you you come back, but home is not the same, you know. And yeah. so they they, they they kind of, I mean, it's not like decades, it's not like centuries later, but it's decades, decades later, and um, you know, so they they do kind of. Uh, yeah, you can. Oh, I'm gonna go into space and find my kids a new place to live and you get back and your kids are collecting social security. Or they're dead or they're dying. It's like they're like, wait, I'm still your dad. It's like, no, you're like you're younger than my kids, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, that's so, yeah. You know, that's all right, that's cool. Maybe that will maybe that will inspire me. Knowing that there's a nice little fuck you in there 
for Matthew McConaughey. Maybe I'll go watch it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it, it, visually it was stunning. It was very, you know, it was very pretty, you know. But, but anyway, anyway, uh, but it was a good movie. But all right, so let's, uh, you know, let, we're at the bottom of the next hour, so we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up here. So, um, okay. yeah, but we, yeah, we covered a lot of stuff about generation ships. Again, it's definitely can be very apo- It can be very apocalyptic, and we've seen it become very apocalyptic because you know whether it's the game or movies or books, and you know, or sometimes not. Sometimes you know. They come back, and the world is an apocalypse, but that world, that ship has become the apocalypse, and they don't know any better, you know, because yeah. if, if the system is broken down and, 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 you're, and, you're, and you're living on scraps, you know, it's the apocalypse. Even though you're in a high-tech ship traveling through space, you know, if, if you're struggling to survive and there's no answers, you know, the chances are it's apocalyptic, you know. You might be in an apocalypse. You this might be in an apocalypse. Is this going to turn into a Jeff Foxworthy thing where, like, if you're eating your neighbors, you might be in an apocalypse? Oh, are we, are we going to have to, like, uh, sit down and write the whole list of those kind of things and make it, you know? I'm sure we can count on our six or seven viewers to, you know who we can count on? We can count on Rick Neal. Rick, if you're <laughs> listening, this is, this is your cue to step up and give us, like, 15, you might be in an apocalypse. So... Yeah, when you when you get when you get back from because uh, he he's he's traveling abroad right now, so oh, is he? Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Well, well, even abroad for him, he was he was in London. And I think he's in Scotland now. Okay. You, you, you know that fucker like always. Oh, he went to Ireland last year. You know he's the, he's the world traveler. That man, you know. Yeah, I uh, give him big credits for that. Um, but um, uh, yes, he's also the guy who can always come up with the you know the wrong. The, <laughs> the wrong, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He can come up with the wrong, he can come up with it fast. But anyways, um, uh, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we can come up with it. If you're, ha- yeah, if you're, if you're having a high speed chase involving a guitar flamethrower, you might be in the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're eating dinky doo, you know. <laughs> if you're eating dinky dee dog food, it, it, it before you. Yeah, you may be in an apocalypse. Uh, oh yeah, we're yeah. We'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll run with that one in another show and just come up with some shit. So, all right, folks. So we're gonna wrap up Generation Starships now. So uh, again, I get we've we like I said, I want to. I I, I kind of hit me that I wanted to talk about that because we've talked about it, you know, on the sidelines a couple of times. You know, like whether it's some movies, some books, the game Metamorphosis Alpha. So like I was like, hey, I want to talk about Generation Starships. And it certainly fits into what you've been talking about earlier about the micro-apocalypse. Where oh, yeah. Like 28 Days Later or uh, the remake of The Crazies, where you're in the middle of the expanding problem. Um, the generation ship is that, that kernel, that, that microcosm of the breakdown of civilization. Exactly. And, it, and that has, that has uh, finite borders. So. Yeah. We're so, talking about finite. All is the ship. The ship is all. There is there is nothing. There is nothing but the ship. The I'm ship. trying to remember who it was they keep praising in. Uh, it's not Orphans of the Sky. Well, maybe it is Orphans of the Sky. There's there's a name of the designer, and I'm and if I want to oh, and the other thing I wanted to point out about Orphans of the Sky is that the name of the ship is the it actually has a name, which was the Vanguard, um, but there's. There's a name of when they did it as a radio play uh, on um, X minus one. Uh, they uh, they actually their god is the name of the designer. 
Rude Blues, you know, all follows the great design of Harry, you know, or something like that. And I don't remember if it's Harry Seldon or not. It might be. Don't quite remember. Uh, Harry Seldon is another Highland character, I think. Uh, yeah, he he, anyway. he actually links in this story to some of his other stories later on. He's uh, good about that. So, uh, so, so Generation Chips and said, folks, we're going to do, like I said, we got a couple episodes uh, the next two. We're going to do a, you know, Twilight 2000 talk with Frank Fry, game designer. Uh, we're also going to do a Mad Max episode. Uh, I don't know which one we're going to do first. Uh, I'll, I'll make, a, make a decision on that one. But when we put something up on, like, the Facebook page. Oh, right? yeah, no, no, no. I'll, I'll post on the blog as usual, and we'll... We'll make a start, shout out. Th start throwing your questions up on the Facebook page, okay? Um, when we put the announcement up, if you got questions, just start throwing them up on the Facebook page, and we'll we'll gather them all up, and uh, we will we will put the hard questions, put the hard questions to Frank Fry. He That's will right. not be able to get out of this. Yeah, we'll we'll scoop them up. So, all right, folks. So this I'm has been uh, the Apocalypse Nerd and Adam Bomb Glancy. Uh, for Podcast Act Round Zero, thank you and good night.